Yeah, totally. Like my grandpa took me to the ice cream counter at the Albertsons grocery store that my grandparents went to every day. Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. So my guest today is Molly Moon Neitzel. Molly, thank you for being here. I am really grateful for you making this happen. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. For the one person who's listening to this that doesn't know your story, can you <laughs> can you please give us the story of Molly Moon's ice cream and how you got started? Um. Okay. Well, yeah, thanks. So I, so funny, I feel like my whole life led me to Molly Moons, but I didn't know it. So I'll do like the really fast life story. I grew up in Boise, Idaho. I worked at an ice cream shop my senior year of high school. I went to college at the University of Montana. I thought I was going to be a journalist. I wanted to be on NPR and I got a journalism degree but I never had very much fun working at the NPR local station. I had way more fun working at a preschool and scooping ice cream at the Big Dipper in Missoula, Montana. And when I was in school, my mom would say, Molly, you have got to get a real college job and like prepare yourself for life. You can't just babysit and scoop ice cream your whole life. So I tried my best. I moved to Seattle uh, after college um, because my first husband wanted to play music in the city where Nirvana played music. And I um, got a job as a fundraiser at UW. But soon I became enthralled with the Howard Dean campaign and started throwing shows at Chop Suey and for Howard Dean. And that turned into a job as the executive director of a nonprofit that I helped found called Music for America. We partnered with bands and venues all over the country to register young voters to vote and then do um, get out the vote work in 2003, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. Um, but in 2007, I decided that I didn't want to run a nonprofit anymore. I was really tired of asking rich people for money. And I wanted to start a small business and see if I could make a small business profitable while embodying all of my very progressive values. So I was kind of whining to my mom on the phone one night about what I was going to do after Music for America and trying to get the guts to quit. And she said, Molly, why don't you just open an ice cream shop? You know how to do it. You did all the jobs at the Big Dipper and you know how to run a small business because my grandparents were small business owners. So that was a great idea. Moms are always the smartest kids. And I started working on a business plan. And I, I was throwing costs into the business model um, that were things I believe either the government or employers should provide, like living wages and free health insurance. And I worked really hard to make the business model extremely sound and the plan as realistic as possible. I worked on it for about seven months. And I kind of said to myself the whole time, 
I'm either going to write a business plan that has all my values in it, but doesn't make any money. And the number at the bottom is red. And then I got to go get a job or I'll write, I'll work on this plan and I'll put all my values into it and the costs associated and the number at the bottom will be black and then I'll try it. So the number at the bottom was black and I asked some mostly colleagues for investment capital um, because at the time I lived in an $800 a month apartment and had student loans and a puppy. And like that was the extent of my you know responsibilities and I had no money. So I valued my intellectual property, my ideas and my sweat equity at 50% of the value of the company. And I valued the cash I needed to open my first ice cream shop as 50% of the value of the company. And um, I asked seven people for money and they all said yes. And I had the funds I needed. And I started construction on my birthday in 2008, um, which was in January. And I opened Molly Moon's Homemade Ice Cream in Wallingford on May 10th, 2008. Wow. So right away... The shop was a crazy success. Like I am pretty good at, I think I have a pretty good marketing brain. Um, And I, I met this awesome publicist right away who was a girl about my age who really believed in this idea of a multi-generational community gathering place, ice cream shop that was kind of progressive values led from the start, which wasn't nearly as common in 2008 as it is now. Um, And so we did a really good job marketing for like opening day. And I was on some blogs before we opened. And then my grandma, who was the chief of staff for a congressman in Idaho, had like taught me this trick, or maybe I had just learned it through osmosis growing up that, well, back in this, back in the day, when I grew up in the eighties and nineties, she had a Rolodex and Mm -hmm. every single person she met she had a Rolodex card for it, like in her whole life. And this Rolodex was massive. It was like this, it was as big around as like, I don't know, a football or something. And it was just crushed with cards. Right. And I think she would even always have like cards in her purse. So if she met someone, she would either like take their, their business card and stick it to a Rolodex card, or she'd write somebody's info down on a Rolodex card. And I remember like when my little sister was born, she grabbed this gigantic Rolodex and we went to the hospital and she was like calling people, you know, from the giant Rolodex. So I just always, I, from the minute I got a cell phone, my first cell phone, my senior year of college, I was like, well, okay, that seemed to work for grandma Angie. So I just put everyone I ever met in my phone, both their, their number and their email. So when I was about to open Molly Moon's, I built an email list to tell people like, please come support me. If I've ever met you, if you've ever liked me, please come support this cool idea. And my ice cream shop, it's opening on Saturday. And I had an email list of 1500 people that I had met since I'd gotten a cell phone. And I just sent all of them an email. And so I had (laughs) like a line around two corners of the block on opening day. I love that. And that kind of like kicked off the buzz. 
and we had an amazing summer. I started, I hired seven employees at the start, but I quickly needed to double that just to get through like our first month in business. And by the end of our first summer, I was confident in my business plan. We were making about three times as much money as I had projected. And I was looking for a second location. So now we're 13 years old and we have nine ice cream shops. So when you started, when you opened the first shop, how many flavors of ice cream did you launch with? 14. Okay. So one question I have, so as I was reading about you in the past, so you reference, or I don't want to say you reference, I saw reference that your grandparents took you for ice cream a lot. Yeah. My grandpa, John. Yeah. You kind of grew up with, this was the treat for you. Yeah, totally. Like my grandpa took me to the ice cream counter at the Albertsons grocery store that my grandparents went to every day before lunch. It was so awesome. This just happened in the summers because my grandparents would watch me, but like they went to the grocery store every single day. My grandpa beelined for the ice cream counter and he got a scoop of strawberry ice cream on a cake cone. And I got a scoop of chocolate, German chocolate cake on a sugar cone, like every day. It was so great. And then my dad also really loves ice cream. And so a lot of times he and I would have like a bowl of ice cream after dinner too. So yes, I love ice cream. So you started with 14 flavors. and So I get a kick out of your, your mom thought you should have a college job, but then a few years later, she turns around and tells you to open up the thing that you were doing when you were in college. Yeah. But when you were working at the Little Dipper, were you making, were they making ice cream there? Yeah. So, okay. so yeah, my boss. How did you learn to make ice cream? Yeah. My boss, Charlie, um, had an Emery Thompson, this like old school American made um, ice cream machine. Uh, and he taught me how to make ice cream. Like I, I did all the, I literally did all the jobs there except maybe bookkeeper. Okay. Well, which might've been helpful when you started your own company, but you know, I, I got that the, from the nonprofit. Then I knew okay, how to okay, do the finance that. part. Yeah. <laughs> so when you started with 14 flavors, what was a hit? What did people, what did people come line up around the corner? What were they coming back for? What was, what was popular at first? I was trying to do a lot of, I was trying to do things that people hadn't necessarily heard of mixed with the classics and okay. even doing things that people hadn't heard of in a like, classic way. Like I wanted them to be new classics. I would say one of the new classics, um, was honey lavender because it was just so uber local. And one of my sort of progressive values that I was trying to put in the whole business model was buying as much local as possible. Um, and I've always had pretty strict sourcing guidelines for ingredients and other products like paper products and stuff. Um, so we started buying, lavender and honey locally, um, and making that flavor. And it was a total hit and people hadn't really, you know, had that flavor combination in 2008. Um, what else was really popular? I have to say like, I was an okay ice cream maker in 2008, but I didn't go to pastry school. I, I'm not a chef. Um, So a lot of my flavors have gotten way better over the years. Like I don't even think I today would like the chocolate ice cream that I was making in 2008 because our chocolate has gotten so good. Um, 
because I was making it with cocoa powder back then, which was kind of like the way. But then I worked with an awesome chef I had in like 2009, 10, 11. um, And we tweaked the recipe and started using Theo chocolate bars that we melted down in a pot with cream and then put that in the ice cream machine. That's why our ice cream is called our chocolate flavor is called melted chocolate now. And it's, it's the best. So I, I, I have to interject cause this is just the way I am. But the, the words ice cream and chef combined I, I kind of turned my head and go, hmm, oh. never thought of ice cream chef combined. Yeah. yeah. But so, that's, so people who are really, really good at, at making ice cream and who like get formally trained, they go to pastry mm-hmm. school and they get a okay. pastry chef degree. And I have um, five or six pastry chefs in my company. So every ice cream, every Molly Moon's ice cream shop, except mm-hmm. for two make their own ice cream in the shop. We don't have like a big plant where we make all the ice cream and send it to the shops. Each shop, because a huge part of what I'm trying to do at Molly Moon's um, is create more good jobs. Mm -hmm. So every shop is like its own little economy of jobs. It has a manager that's a really great manager job in the food and beverage industry. And it has a chef. And that's another really good job with awesome benefits and a nice salary. And, um, and then we have shift leaders and ice cream makers and scoopers. So that's like the little sort of ecosystem or economy of, of our ice cream shops. So a lot of ice cream shops just have like a manager and scoopers, but I, and I'm always trying to help like hire people when they're young, don't have much job experience as scoopers or ice cream makers, then move them up the ladder through a program we have called career pathways. Very interesting. Since you're making, see, I told you we we're going to go off the rails and, you know, we we're talking about your story. Now we're, we're talking about today. You're making the ice cream in each store. Do the stores have any say in what they're making? Like if the ice, the chef there really loves strawberry or is strawberry going to be on in, in Wallingford versus say at university village or right. is it, you know, yeah, that's it, a what great creativity question. is there? I like, so we're the chefs are super creative. I think everybody in our company is really creative, but I also think it's really important that the customer have a consistent experience. Okay. Um, especially like I have a child with autism. She needs to know that her favorite flavor is going to be at Molly Moon's, whether we're at Molly Moon's, you know, in Wallingford or Capitol Hill. Well, let me interrupt. What is her favorite flavor? She's funny. She kind of bounces between a couple. Um, She loves melted chocolate, but she also often goes for sweet cream with hot fudge on top. Yeah. She's a classic gal. Yeah. 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 But back to like when we launched, I just, I didn't say the most popular flavor and I feel like I should. Um, When I opened, Franz had salted caramel, you know, her famous salted caramels, but salted caramel wasn't really a thing otherwise. And so I made an extremely salty salted caramel ice cream and it was so polarizing. People would take, get a sample and like literally look for a place to spit it out. 
I would say 20% of people who tasted it were like that. And they were like, why would you put so much salt in this? This is crazy. But it was our top selling flavor. And well, there's, there's something to be said about being polarizing. And it's still like consistently in the top three or four, four flavors and has been for 13 years. Wow. Okay. And we have not changed the recipe at all. People are always emailing us like you need to take the salt out of the salted caramels. But it's funny because I, you know, now salted caramel is such a popular flavor and you can get it in frappuccinos and you can get it in all kinds of ice cream and whatever, you know. And whenever I get a salted caramel anything, I'm like, there's no salt in here. What salt are you using? Are you using a local? We don't use like a fancy like Jacobson or anything. We just use an Alaskan sea salt that's that's bulk. But yeah, just sea, sea salt. So your first location was a a success from day one. Where was your next location? Capitol Hill. Um, Mostly because that was my neighborhood. Um, But also, well, that's not not mostly. I'm super data driven and always have been. So when I was writing my business plan, I did a lot of market research on where ice cream is bought and sold the most. And um, I figured out that the zip codes that buy the most ice cream or where the most ice cream are sold have higher than average household income and higher than average kids per household. Okay. So I looked for the zip codes where that was true in Seattle and there were two top zip codes, 98103 Wallingford and 98122 Capitol Hill. So when I went to open my first location, I hired a real estate broker and I said, I only want to look at spaces that are less than a thousand square feet in these two zip codes. Okay. So the first space I found was in Wallingford. But then when I wanted to open another one, I was like, okay, I better go to that other zip code that meets my top criteria. Are all your stores still around a thousand square feet or have you, you've got a couple of walk-ups if I'm, I have two little tiny walk-up windows. One of them is like mm, maybe 70 square feet. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And the other one is like 110 square feet. Okay. Yeah. So they are teeny, teeny, tiny and so cute. They're mini shops. shops. Um, And then my largest shop I just opened last summer in the middle of the pandemic and it was so stressful, but it's 2,600 square feet. And And that's in Bellevue. That's in Bellevue. And that's like, we basically put in a full pastry um, kitchen there where we're making a lot of our inclusions. We're making the granola for our Yeti flavor. We're making the brownies for our warm brownie sundaes. We're making a lot of the inclusions because we were baking everything in every shop. Mm -hmm. And we were just sort of running out of space to do the more complicated stuff like we make our own cookie dough for the cookie dough flavor and everything's made from scratch okay wow and then the bellevue shop also has two huge freezers like bigger than my first studio apartment (laughs) and one of them is just for wholesale because last spring when we shut all of our shops due to the pandemic we started selling ice cream in grocery stores and now we're in 120 grocery stores in Western Washington. 
Wow. So what, who's carrying that? What stores, what chains are carrying you? We started with PCC uh, co-ops in Seattle Mm -hmm. and around and then met market. Those were our first two customers and they were so incredibly generous to us in like April of 2020 when we really needed a win. (laughs) Um, And they really helped us get our wholesale program off the ground and got us through last summer in many ways. But since then, um, we've added town and country markets and Hagen's markets and then QFCs in Western Washington. And we're still hoping to grow into like other Kroger brands like Fred Meyer. I'd love to be in Fred Meyer. I was just going to ask because QFC is Kroger. Does QFC have the local ability to bring you in or did you have to go to Cincinnati and deal with Kroger corporate? Well, nobody went anywhere because it was the pandemic, but we zoomed with (laughs) our our sales, um, our marketing and sales director, I think worked with a couple national folks, but I think they have a lot of buying um, discretion Mm -hmm. locally. And we have an awesome rep at QFC here in Washington who has really championed the brand. I've always gotten that impression that QFC had that latitude. I grew up in the food business and um, long, 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 long time ago. Um, and it's always seemed like QFC. Yeah. had that, they were granted that latitude within reason to, to experiment with local stuff, which is yeah. helps those stores have a local flavor. It's been really cool to see in the pandemic because like, I love Tutabella pizza. Um, and that's a really awesome local company. And I was worried about Joe and his employees last spring. And then I saw his salads and his pre-made like, um, pasta dishes that are so excellent in the deli at QFC. And I started buying them and now I think that's doing really well for them. So QFC, Mm -hmm. I think did a really good job of helping a lot of local businesses last year. That's, that's awesome because I don't think, I don't think there's any of us period that had any clue how to navigate last year. No. What, what on earth were we going to do? And in my conversations I've had over the last year with people, it's, it's been pretty fascinating. I think the most overused word is the word pivot. And I think we've all just (laughs) pivot. It's like, but it's been really interesting to me to listen to business owners adapt and come out of this, if you will, with a completely additional viable line of business that they weren't in 18 months ago. Yeah. I mean, they might not have ever tried. I've been told for so many years to diversify and you know, you're just doing your thing and your thing is hard enough. So Mm -hmm. I never really made time to diversify to grocery. And I'm really glad that we, you know, had to. And now as we come back and our retail shops are going to do well again, we do have this extra other whole branch of our business. And I think it alone is, has kind of turned into like a million dollar a year revenue stream. That's exciting. Yeah. It's cool. exciting because it allows you to do other things because I'd like to kind of transition and talk about some of the things you do, not just for your employees, but the milk fund and things like that, where you, your, your company has a, a very well-documented charitable giving. So I'll just lob it back over to you. Can you, <laughs> can you uh, 
Can you elaborate on that for us? Yeah. So, I mean, I've always felt like philanthropy was important and our sort of phrase we use to guide things or I guess mission statement. I don't know. All that stuff is so cheesy, but, um, the phrase I've used since I opened was like, I'm making the world better one scoop at a time. Okay. And that means a lot of things. It means making the world better in the way that I'm an employer, making the world better in the ingredients that I buy, but also making the world better through community giving. So from the beginning, you know, I was just kind of saying yes to things I could. I wasn't super strategic about it, but within a year of being in business, I realized that I needed to be really specific. I needed to sort of ask myself what was important to me and then create like a giving mission and say no to the things that didn't fit into it so that I could make an impact and invest in the things that were most important to me. And then I, and I had just kind of gotten myself organized in that manner. And then my little sister who um, lived with me when I opened Molly Moons um, and worked for me. She was my first employee. And she also worked um, at QFC in the deli in our neighborhood. Um, She died in a motorcycle accident when she was 22. And that she was, her name was Anna. She was the most generous person. Like she really was someone who would give you the clothes she was wearing if you needed them. And she actually got fired from QFC for giving too many samples to the homeless youth um, in Capitol Hill. So as I was thinking about how to um, remember her and, you know, help create a legacy in her name, I realized that I wanted to work with a food bank um, and create a way for families to have fresh milk. Milk is a thing that is sort of a joke in our family. Like Anna and I growing up, growing up just drank so much milk and our aunts and uncles would be amazed. And my mom would always be like, Oh my God, you guys, you drink so much milk. It's so expensive. (laughs) Um, and so I walked across the street from the Wallingford shop to family works food bank and resource center, who we had been working with and donating to over our first couple of years of business. And I talked to the executive director about honoring Anna and we created the Anna banana milk fund and my employees and my friends signed up and started giving $10 a month, which um, provided a half gallon of milk to um, families every week that they came to the food bank. Okay. And that fund has now been around about 10 years, a little over 10 years and I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but we've given hundreds of thousands of dollars um, to food banks uh, to buy fresh milk. Because most people who rely on food banks, some of them have never had fresh milk. Like I've met adults at Family Works who have never had fresh milk. They've only had powdered or canned milk. And milk is just in my opinion, a really important building block, especially for kids and for brain development. So it's been really awesome. And now we partner with eight food banks. 
so that we have a food bank partner in every neighborhood where we have an ice cream shop. And um, before the pandemic, we were giving about $10,000 a year to each of those food banks. And we had to take a pause last year to, you know, stay um, solvent, but we'll go back to that this year. That's, that's wonderful. Thanks. So when I was doing research sounds highbrow, but when I was looking online, I'd like to just touch on something else you guys do, which you have this for lack of, I'll, I'll, I'll describe it as transparency with pay throughout the entire company. Yeah. And I watched a video. You were talking to some, I I can't remember the name of the company, but you were talking about it. And the, the interviewer was just saying that he had, you know, he had talked to people he knew and they said they wouldn't do it. And then, um, Glenn Kelman from Redfin was on the, the back half of that interview. Are you, does that jog? Mem- yeah, it was vice news. Thank you. Yeah, I couldn't. I just, okay. And so what I, inter- let me see if I interpreted this correctly. And then if, if I'm wrong, I, I want you to correct me, but, but basically as a company, you, you sat down with your, your team and you went through and made everybody's pay whatever job they are, whatever location they are, it's transparent. So I'm guessing that if I wanted to know what the scooper at the other store was making, if I asked correctly, you would, I could find out. I don't think you published it on the walls. I mean, I don't think it's like pinned up in the employee break room. Well, basically it is digitally. Like anybody can look up the spreadsheet anytime and see what everybody made in the last year. And that was seemed to be received very well by your, by your team. Yeah, totally. Is it still being received well by the team? Yeah. Yeah. I think pay transparency is really important. And I think if we're going to fix a lot of the gender and race inequities in this nation, but Seattle is kind of at the top of the list of inequity, um, we need to be transparent. People need to know what other people are making in order to best advocate for themselves. And people Mm -hmm. need context to advocate for themselves and people need to know like what the possibilities are. I think one of the things that nobody really thinks about when they think about pay transparency is that it's inspiring. If you're working sort of at the bottom of the wage ladder in a company, but you think that you're smart and you could do the job of your boss or your boss's boss or your boss's boss's boss, and you see what they make, it gives you something to strive for. And it's concrete. How long ago was that Vice News video published? I think that was in 2018. So I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think at that time your starting salary wage was $18 an hour. Yeah. And you and you did away with tips in your store. Yeah. That seems like a great wage to me. I mean, I, I know sales ridiculously expensive. I, I, it's tough, but I get it. It, but it seems like that's an awesome first level benefit. Yeah. If you're going to be, if I'm going to be working at your, at your shop, I'm making 18 bucks an hour at a minimum. That's, that's a great place to start, but also you guys do offer benefits and all that as well. Correct. Yeah. If you work for us 20 hours a week, you're also going to get free health insurance. And if you work for us at all, we give you a subsidized, like we pay for 70% of your transit pass. Wow. 
and we match your 401k contributions. And the health insurance includes dental and vision and life insurance. And um, what else? We have an employee assistance program that helps people with a whole range of just like life help um, that people can reach out to. And then we have this, I mentioned career pathways program. Right. Thank you for is kind of an internal um, way of helping people get to the next level in their career. And they might use it to get promotions here at Molly Moons. And a lot of people do, but it also kind of qualifies you and gets you ready to be qualified for the next jump in your career Mm -hmm. outside of our company too. So I just think all of that is just is fantastic because you're investing in people <clears throat> on an individual level. That investment in that person may not pay off directly to Molly Moons. They may leave and go, go to QFC yeah. and be an assistant manager, but you're investing in people. You're, you're giving them uh, an opportunity and, and that's all. I mean, what more can, a, what more can an employee ask for than an opportunity to, to, to grow? Yeah. I think that's fabulous. I think that's, I mean, wow, that's just, that's very cool. Um, I don't want to, I don't know why that sounds, I sound, I feel like I'm sounding somber and that should be something we should be celebrating. No, I shouldn't sound somber. Yeah. I should be like, this is awesome. Yeah, it's cool. I forgot a benefit that we have because now okay. everybody in Washington state gets it, but I want to mention it, which is we've had paid family leave, 12 weeks of paid family leave for a long time. And then okay. I worked on, um, the lobbying effort at the state legislature to make that a Washington state program. So now everyone in Washington state gets what folks at Molly Moons get, which is 12 weeks of paid family leave. If you have a child, whether you're uh, male or female, if you adopt, if you foster, if you need to take care of a parent because they're sick or they have an injury, if you need to recover from surgery, folks can also use it um, to recover from uh, transgender surgeries. And that has been a very, very appreciated benefit at our company. And I know from the public at large in Washington. That's awesome. But one benefit you haven't, we haven't talked about yet that I'm good. You'd be remiss if you didn't offer Mm. this. So what's the free ice cream deal? Oh yeah. Everybody gets free ice cream. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Charlie, my boss at the Big Dipper in Montana was really good about that. He was just like, eat ice cream. You'll get sick of it. You'll, you know, you'll, you'll, you might eat a lot. Um, you might eat, you know, into your paycheck or whatever in the beginning, but you'll, you'll just okay. enjoy ice cream and I want you to taste it and I want you to appreciate it and, you know, always have the new flavors. And so, yeah. Well, then you can speak to it. If somebody comes in and you yeah. know, asks about the lavender honey or the, the salted caramel. If I haven't tried it, I'm going to look at them with a, well, I don't know here. Try you yeah. know. I mean, yeah, I think that's great. It's also good marketing. Like when my employees show up at a barbecue with a few pints of Molly moons, like they're pretty popular. That's great. They? You know, and that's, that's making their friends and family like us too. That's cool. All right. So when you started, let's okay. So when you started, you had 14 flavors currently today at your stores in May of 2021, how many flavors do you have right now? Wait for it. 15. <laughs> okay. Basically, I buy this kind of dipping cabinet. That's the freezer that you scoop ice cream out of. 
that is really awesome at quality control and holding the right temp for the ice cream. And it comfortably fits 14 flavors and it can squeeze 15, but I don't really have any desire to, I mean, so we, we have 10, no, we have 11 always flavors now. 11 always. Um, okay. And the, the 11th was a vegan because we realized that we didn't want to just have seasonal vegan flavors. We wanted to have an always vegan flavor. But then we have four seasonal ice cream flavors every month. So we have 48 seasonal flavors per year in addition to okay. our 11 always or year round flavors. So a question that comes up here is you said the freezer the the keeps it at the optimal temperature. Mm-hmm. What is the optimal temperature? Oh, I don't know if I should tell you that. You might go start an ice oh, cream is it, shop. Oh, is it proprietary? Um, I mean, it kind of depends on like really, honestly, the climate in the shop and even like okay. if it's north facing light or south facing light, but oh my gosh. it's around five to seven degrees. My employees would probably say seven or eight because if okay. it's colder then like the chocolate is really hard to scoop. But it really is that sensitive that the direction of the light coming in can impact. I didn't think about this. Yeah. Well, it's like your shop is really sunny all the time. Then it's Uh warmer inside. And then you got to kind of adjust the temp on everything, right? Like the AC and the freezers. and. So you have 11 regulars and then you rotate four through. Yeah. At the time, at this time today, what, what are your, what are your seasonal flavors in, in springtime here? What's, well, what's it's going May, on? Um, and we celebrate okay. the Molly Moon's birthday in May. So we did a collection of four cake flavors this month. Okay. And we had, um, strawberry cheesecake, which was phenomenal. We had German chocolate cake, my childhood favorite. I have eaten so much of it this month. <sighs> Okay. We had birthday cake, kind of classic. Kids love it. Also, for some reason, fraternity brothers love birthday cake ice cream. Um, and I know it's just something I've noticed over the years, like in our shops where there are a lot of university students, um, guys from fraternities who come in together, they love birthday cake ice cream. It's funny. I'm like a really good, um, flavor profiler. Like I can okay. often, you know, someone will walk in and I'll be like, they're going to get X. Okay. All right. Well, let me put you on the spot. What do you think I would Uh-oh. get? Okay. Ooh. Well, for those of you, no one can see this, but she's, she's bouncing around in her seat. Kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that you would really dig Yeti or Sasquatch for a few and reasons. What are those two? Because I'm not familiar with those yeah, two. I think you like inclusion is it because of the beard i mean i'm thinking about your music history i'm thinking about your love of washington i'm thinking a little bit about your age sorry i do put that in my flavor profiling um and i think you would like inclusions these are both washington ode to washington flavors um and they're like classic tasting but with a twist so sasquatch was created first um in the spring of 2009 my really good friend adam zax who created the um sasquatch music festival 
Okay. He and I were like spitballing. What if we made a Sasquatch flavor? And so I was like, well, what would be in it? And he came up with it. So it's chocolate ice cream with a swirl of caramel sauce, and then lots of chocolate chunks and chunks of homemade granola. Okay. Okay. I think you would really dig that one. And then several years later, our employees were like hardcore lobbying for us to make a Yeti flavor that is all the same inclusions, but just Mm -hmm. sweet cream ice cream. So do those sound good to you? They sound good to me, but I'll be honest with you. This month, I would probably either go for the strawberry shirt or the, the strawberry cheesecake or the German chocolate yep. cake. That would be that would be taking the safe route. But the the Sasquatch sounds awesome. If you like I mean, just, German chocolate cake, you will love yeah. Sasquatch. Yeah. Yeah. Then yeah. And I was like, okay. Yeah. All right. That's uh I'll have to come over. Uh, it's another reason to visit Seattle again in the near future. Well, okay. So you do four a month. How, what's the creative process there on those four? Or do you, do the, the ice cream chefs, are they doing it? Is it, is it your team members? It's super collaborative, but I'm the ultimate decision maker. Right. So we have quarterly meetings. We try to be a year ahead. So like I'm about to have a meeting where we're talking about the flavors for the second quarter of 2022. Okay. And we'll all get together. Um, we're actually all going to get together in the same room for the first time in so long because we, <laughs> we're all vaccinated now. Um, and we use a huge whiteboard. And um, first, we put up the data. We put up the sales data of seasonal flavors from that quarter the previous year and look at how things sold in that season before. Okay. Then we kind of like erase the flavors that sold like less than five and a half or 5.9% of total sales. Then we have our seasonal flavors that are like viable candidates to come back. Then. So they can come back. So it's not just a one and done. So German chocolate cake may come back next year. Oh my gosh. If we didn't have some of our flavors come back every year, I think our customers would revolt. I've never not had cherry chunk in July. Because it's so popular. Can any of these seasonals bump out one of the, the 11 regulars? Yes, and that happens. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it's a competitive ice cream. It's totally competitive always. And if we have a seasonal that just kind of blows away, um, mm-hmm. like one of our top always flavors, then we will look at bumping the bottom always flavor off the always list. We just okay. did that. We bumped Earl Grey ice cream and put into always rotation um, our cookies and cream. And our cookies okay. and cream are the best cookies and cream ice cream you've ever had. We make the cookies from scratch. We make the cream chilling, the cream filling from scratch. We chop it all up and pour it by the cup into the tubs of ice cream and stir it in. And when we add a little bit of salt, which makes all the flavors and the richness just pop. All right. So now I've got all sorts of questions, but (laughs) when you're, when you're making a batch of ice cream, how big 
because you're making them in the store. So these aren't, this like is really small, small batch. batch. Yeah. So how, how big of a batch are you making? I have two sizes of ice cream machines, a um, okay. 20 quart machine and a 40 quart machine. So 20 quart okay. machine, a batch will be about five gallons of ice cream in two and a half gallon tubs. And, a, and how long does that take to make? About Just, between 13 and 17 minutes, depending on the flavor and the age of the machine and the sharpness of the blades. That's really fast yeah. to me. That seems very fast. Yeah. Okay. And um, a 40 quart machine can make double that. So about 10 gallons of ice cream for two and a half gallon tubs. And is it about as fast for that machine yeah. as well? Or does it, it takes the oh, same amount of time. It's just a bigger barrel. Okay. All right. Okay. So you're planning strategic planning for second quarter of 2022. Yeah. So we, you're all sitting, we look at the data from the past. Then we go to our creative brains and we've all come with lists of flavors that we've like come up with that we've never done before. So we talk about if it sounds good, um, how things that are like that have sold in the past. And then we usually pick, I don't know what the ratio is. Maybe 50-50, like half of the seasonal flavors for next Q2 2022 will be repeats, will be comebacks, Mm -hmm. and half of them will be original flavors. And then the head chef assigns R&D tasks to the other chefs. Everybody gets assigned a few flavors to work on and create. And, and then we leave, I've approved the concept of what we're going to R and D the chef has assigned the R and D work. And then in a month or so we'll have a tasting and each chef will bring their flavors and they usually bring two versions. Like this one has a little bit more salt or this one has a little bit more of the sauce in it or whatever. Then we all taste, um, and discuss. And then I'll either approve one of those two versions or I'll say, um, you know, why don't you try this with a little less of this or more of this or add that. And we sometimes have to do a second round of tastings, but within probably two months of the flavor meeting, we'll have it set and worked out for what that quarter's flavors will be. All right. So I love this question. I love asking people this question. So you've got these meetings, you're brainstorming. People are suggesting this combo. They're, they're, there's, everyone's coming to the table with ideas. Not all of them can have been great. So have you guys ever thought something was going to be really delicious and it just didn't work? Yeah, totally. In, in, Especially in the early days. So, you know, okay. I feel like Molly Moons gets better and better at what it does all the time because we rely on historical data. Okay. Um. In the early days, I didn't have a lot of data. So it was more like throwing spaghetti at the wall, right? right? I made a Beecher's cheese ice cream. Nobody bought that. I thought it was delicious, but. Which cheese did you? Flagship. It was salty and cheesy and um, it was awesome on top of a slice of apple pie. It was cool alone. I thought it was great, but that was a dud. I would have tried it. I don't know that. I don't. I mean, I certainly would have. I certainly would have tried. Yeah, that. I think. I like Beecher's I cheese. I think it was and, better, maybe as a pie pairing. 
or a flavor. And maybe people didn't want like a whole scoop of it. But that was really a fun Mm -hmm. partnership. And I went to New York to promote my cookbook and I scooped that flavor in the Beecher's Cheese in the Flatiron District in Manhattan. Uh And that was super fun. Okay. Um, okay. Another dud was baby beet sorbet. Yeah, you lost me there. Again, <laughs> I thought that was good. Uh, we did a spring garlic ice cream. That was a dud. Have you ever had any success with garlic in any form on an ice cream? No, but something I haven't done and I want to do is like um, fried garlic bits as a topping. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting topic. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, you have final say. Yeah. Has there ever been one that you reluctantly said, okay. And you were really surprised that it, it exceeded, you know, you were like, oh, kind of on, I don't, I can't see you as being the person that's going to do something. If you're on the fence, I think you're, you're like, yes, we're going to do this. Or you're, there's probably no like wishy-washiness. But. Yeah. I'm not wishy-washy. Um, there is a flavor that I do not like, and I'm, I'm actually blanking on what it is right now, but we've made it and it does well enough, but I, for the life of me, can't remember what it is. It might come back to me later. Okay. Um, one that I love that's a dud, but it has a cult following. So we tend to do it every year. Just in pints is salted licorice ice cream. Ooh. Yeah. I could see you either really liking that or really not. And I'm on board with that. My son has a friend from Finland and he came to visit and he brought us some of that. And at first I was like making really, yeah. Now I'm like, how do I get more of this yeah. stuff? This, yeah, yeah. I could. Ooh. When I, when does that, when would that be coming out? Um, it'll come out next April, probably. April. Well, that's yeah. a great month to have it. Um, when I was working at the Big Dipper, or no, at my first ice cream shop job in Boise, Idaho, called Goodies. Um, Goodies is like a candy shop, like an old school, okay. more like a soda fountain. Um. And they have like this huge wall of candy and then the ice cream part of the store. And then they also make their own homemade caramel corn, which is amazing. And it used to be kind of a hazing ritual, I think, for the employees at Goodies to make new employees eat that hard puck of double salt licorice from like Denmark. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they did it to me, made me put two pieces in my mouth. And I was like, oh, you all don't know but I have a really good friend from Denmark in college and I love this stuff. And so, yeah, yeah. you either love it or you hate it. It's funny it's that it can polarizing. even be considered like something that would be a punishment and then other people really dig it. So <clears throat> apple pie ice cream. That's the one I'm like, I don't get it, but it's a really popular seller. We do it every November and mm-hmm. I don't love it. Everybody else does. So you've, you've opened up retail, you've navigated the economy. You've got wholesale going now. More of the same in the future. Is that kind of the, is that kind of the general blend for the future? The is thing just- I always say when people ask me what's next for Molly moons is um, every, ice, every neighborhood deserves the Molly moons. 
Okay. You know, it's, it's their neighborhood ice cream shops when it comes mm-hmm. down to it. And it takes the right mix of other things in the neighborhood to um, help me know that, that that location will be successful. But sure. I really do think every neighborhood deserves a Molly Moons. Okay. We got a lot of neighborhoods in the Saddle area. Yeah. And then you got, pl- you got plenty of growth. Yes. Agreed. And, you know, we're going outside of Seattle slowly but surely. We have a shop in Redmond that's our our highest volume shop. And then we have okay. two in Bellevue. They do really well. And I am going to open another shop um, in 2023 north of Seattle. Okay. okay. But in terms of Are like you- other what's next, I've only done a couple things outside of just building ice cream shops that have been like fun and interesting and an extension of what we do and have turned into like a smart financial decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them was I, in 2015, I made it a goal to invest so heavily in merchandise that we, um, that we added as much revenue as like building a new ice cream shop. And so in, in swag or yeah. merch, like shirts. Yeah. And, and, and so it took, yeah. it took a big investment. I spent over $150,000, I think on remodeling all of the merchandise walls in all of our shops oh, wow. to be like a beautiful, customizable, like um, flexible system. It, there are these really pretty mm-hmm. walls with holes for dowels and a grid and shelves. And, and then I had like the, palette to paint on. And then we started coming up with, you know, how many items do we need? What, what kinds of items do we need to produce to target different demographics of customers? Um, and it took a couple years, but we, now we sell like, you know, three, $350,000 worth of merch. So not as much as an ice cream shop, like a target ice cream shop really would sell like a million dollars worth of ice cream, but it was an added revenue stream. That's been really awesome for our bottom line and really fun for our customers and really good marketing. So I'm always kind of trying to figure out like, are there other projects like that to add? Mm -hmm. And I read one of my favorite takeaways from reading books by Howard Schultz, um, is the like, think about what your customer will give your company specifically permission to sell them. What else? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, your customer might want a lot of things, but what do they want you to try to sell them? That's very insightful. Very insightful. When you're not creating new ice cream flavors, when you're not taking great care of your employees, what do you do for fun? I'm a CEO and a mom of small children. I don't have a ton of fun. Uh, There must be stuff you guys like. Yeah. I mean, I love my kids. I love spending time with my kids. I have a three-year-old and an eight-year-old daughters. Um, We joined a pool last year. So we really like to go swimming. Um, I'm a pretty big homebody. I love my house. Mm -hmm. I like to garden. I Really don't like to leave my zip code if I don't have to. We live near okay. a park. So in your zip code, any good coffee? 
Well, I have the best barista on the West Coast, if not the country, uh, that I get to sleep next to every night. My okay. husband owned a coffee shop called Union Coffee in Seattle for three or four years. And then he sold it last year um, during the pandemic to stay home and take care of our kids so I could save the company. And he he pivoted. I know you don't like that word, but I kind of do. Uh, and um, well, it's it's just because I get dizzy because I keep thinking right, about, like, spinning right. Well, life of a small business owner, right. man. Um, so he connected with all of his favorite customers from the shop who really liked the sort of high end direct trade, super nerdy. What notes does this bean have? And what did the roast add? Like, I don't even get a lot of this stuff or I don't, I don't get too deep into it, but he did that. And he um, created a coffee club, a subscription club. So he wakes up every morning and um, I got us a La Marzocco espresso machine for, our seven year wedding anniversary. Um, I think that's what it's supposed to be. I think I need to talk to my wife. I think that's the seven year gift. Yeah. Um, And he makes me coffee. (laughs) He makes me coffee every day. Um, Multiple coffees. So how do you take it? How do you drink your coffee? What's, Uh, what's the beverage? How do you you espresso or just like my ice cream, lots of milk and sugar. Which okay. my husband okay. hates because he's such a coffee, straight up coffee guy. But, you know, my first love is ice cream. My second love is coffee. I really need both. I drink a latte with a little, maybe like a half a teaspoon of sugar every day. And I'll only drink two or three throughout the day. And okay. he makes me like cute latte art with hearts and swans on top. And it's the best. So in the zip code, any interesting places to grab lunch? Um, well, tons like Capitol Hill, Seattle, where I live is an awesome food destination. (laughs) Yeah. I think our favorite restaurant for the last several years has been this place called plenty of clouds, which is a Chinese restaurant that mixes, um, food from the Yunnan province and food from the Sichuan province in China. Um, so that's got those, uh, numbing, Szechuan peppers in a lot of it. It's not food. Numbing is a polite way of saying it. Yeah, it's not food we feed our kids, but that's probably our favorite restaurant in our neighborhood. Okay. Is there, so for those people are, you know, listening, where can they find more about what you're doing and your shops and where's, I'm going to guess where you're going to put them, but you know, you, you tell us where can people find you online? Yeah. Our, uh, website is mollymoon.com and our Instagram is Molly Moon Ice Cream. And if you really want to be in the know and you want to know like when flavors come out or when we drop special collections of pints, which we do, then you should probably subscribe to our newsletter on our website at mollymoon.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been, well, I'm hungry now <laughs> and, um, but I've really enjoyed this because I think what you're doing is awesome. I, I really, I love the sensibility of the company. Um, the baby beat. Eh, sorry. You lost me on that one. I just, <laughs> anything would be, so let me, I have to ask and just, do you guys do much with pumpkin? We always do a pumpkin clove flavor in October. Okay. Yeah. Cause I think 
we wouldn't be Americans if we just like didn't overdo something like pumpkin spice on everything. We don't really do this pumpkin spice thing. But but the whole, you know, it's, it's July. We can start talking about pumpkin. In October, we do pumpkin clove. We usually have a Sunday called the great pumpkin Sunday that has um, hot fudge and candied pepitas on top of pumpkin clove ice cream with whipped cream. And it's delicious. All right. So I lied. One more question. What's your favorite Sunday that you guys do? Oh, well, the always Sunday on our menu is called Molly Moon's favorite Sunday. (laughs) And it is um, a scoop of melted chocolate ice cream, a scoop of salted caramel, a um, generous drizzle of hot fudge, candied hazelnuts, whipped cream and a chicker cherry. What's your husband's? What's his choice? He really likes the fruity flavors. We had a berry jam ice cream recently that he was all about. Made okay. with um, berries from the Skagit Valley. Okay. I still have more questions. <laughs> you're, you're Back in the day, it, when you were this, in Montana scooping ice cream, the owner said, go ahead, just eat. You're going to get tired of it. Have you gotten, you haven't gotten tired of no, it. No, man. I get my daughter after school we get ice cream like more days than I care to admit. And at tastings sometimes like we'll do a tasting and I'll be like, yes, this is the flavor. And then I'll like take that pint home. I eat a lot of ice cream. (laughs) What a way to build a company that you want the product. I mean, that's just, that's perfect. I love it. Well, thank you so much. And, um, I'm, I'm sure everyone's enjoyed this episode. I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.